You're listening to Faith and Fostering, the podcast where people of faith chat about foster care in the Australian context to encourage, edify and educate others along the journey. Hi everyone, great to be with you today. I'm Heather and today on Faith and Fostering I thought we might do something a little bit different. We're going to have a devotion time together. I certainly know that for me across last year with all of the challenges that we had with COVID and certainly with a a massively long lockdown in Melbourne, I really appreciated the times where someone spoke into my life and brought scripture to life and times when I could focus on God's word and reset my soul. And so for me today, that is really my prayer for you, that just with our time together today, there might be an opportunity for you to hear from the heart of God, to somehow refocus, to somehow have some food for your soul and and just allow yourself to reset. So we're going to start by looking at John chapter 12, and I want to focus today on the life and story of Someone that we only know is Mary of Bethany. We don't know her last name, but we know that she came from Bethany. She was the sister of Lazarus, who Jesus raised to life. And in John chapter 12, this is the last story that we hear about her. This is what John says. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a twelve-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, He often stole some for himself. But Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now one of the things that kind of stood out for me as I was looking at this passage recently was really the servant heart, the servant nature that Mary took. It was quite common in those days in Jewish culture that if someone was coming to your home, you would make sure that the servant washed their feet when they arrived. Jesus was arriving this particular day or this particular time from Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And he knew that in a few days time, he was going to be crucified. But the people that he was with didn't know that. And he arrived in Bethany and he would have been grubby from the journey. He would have needed some kind of refreshing. But it was pretty customary practice that you would send then the lowliest of your servants to do the lowliest of tasks. They would be required to wash the feet of the guests who were coming. And the idea was that the guests would arrive and they would be refreshed and all of the day's grime and everything else would just be washed off them and they would be able to relax, recline at a table that was very close to the floor and frankly close to other people's feet. And they would be able to enjoy their time together feeling refreshed and clean. And if you had a guest coming that was particularly important or a really highly honoured guest, then the other thing that the servant would do was place or dab, I guess, a a little bit of perfume on the head of the important guests. And if it was a group of important people, dab a, a dot of perfume on each of the guests' head. And so not only would they feel refreshed and clean from the day, but they would also, they'd smell sweet, they'd smell good, 
And it'd just be a really nice way to be welcomed into someone's home to have a servant come and do this. The fascinating thing about this particular story is that Mary sees the servant opportunity as being something she wants to engage in. She doesn't want the lowliest of the servants to get the honor of being the person who is at Jesus' feet. She wants to do it herself. And so we see Mary enter this situation and nothing about it is customary, even though she was doing a very customary thing. It was kind of a a, a normal, just a rudimentary task. But Mary grabs hold of this servant task and she just ramps it up to a thousand. She decides that she's going to do this servant's task, but she's going to do it in a spectacular, extravagant way. And so she takes this bottle of extremely expensive perfume. And at the time, it was worth around about a year's wages. That's what the Bible tells us. About 300 denarii. A denarii was worth about a day's wages. That's what you would get paid to do a job for a day. And uh, and so once you took Sabbaths into account and, I don't know, sick days or whatever it was, it was around about a year's wages. So I did the maths and worked out that in our current uh, currency and with inflation and currency exchange and all of that kind of stuff, we're looking at around about $40,000 worth of perfume, which is huge. And she just pours it out over his feet, which was not customary at all. And then she does this other amazing thing that was really not acceptable in polite society. She takes her hair out (laughs) and she starts to wipe his feet with her hair. And it's this beautiful moment of what we would consider affection, intimacy and worship being at Jesus' feet. But it was also a moment of service. And what I love about Mary is that she sees the opportunity that a servant would be given, the lowliest of the servants, the lowliest opportunity, the lowliest task, and she grabs hold of it with both hands and she thinks to herself, how can I do this servant-hearted task to the absolute limit and capability of who I am? How can I make it extravagant? How can I make it worthy of the Son of God? And so it was just a, a servant task. It was just a, a lowly task of, of service. But she made it something that was worthy of the Son of God. And I love that. You know, I think about the, the things that sometimes God leads us to, the places in life and the things that he calls us to. And it's not all glamour and it's not all glory. Often the, the tasks that we don't want to do are the ones that don't come with any glory, the things that people don't see. But I know that if you're engaged in foster care or kinship care, if you've got kids coming through your home that you didn't birth yourself, you're dealing with those kind of servant tasks every single day. (laughs) You're dealing with those kind of no glory, lowly servant tasks every single day. No one sees it. People kind of know it, but they don't really know it because they don't see it every single moment of every single day the wiping of the snotty noses, the dealing with the tantrums, all of those kind of things that are part and parcel of being a person in care, of placing yourself in that role. But you know, when God calls us to a task of service, he sees it. (laughs) He sees it and he honors it. Mary decides that she's going to go full throttle with it. She's not going to do it in the, the basic way. She's going to do it 
to the degree that it's worthy of the Son of God. And she uses this service, this servant opportunity, to actually minister to Jesus and to worship him. And her service of him becomes her worship of him. And it's quite extraordinary when we think about it. Actually, when Jesus spoke about this in one of the other Gospels, he says, she's done a beautiful thing to me. And wherever the gospel is preached for all time, she will be remembered for this. People will speak about this in honor, he says, of her. And I love that. She's taken this lowly service uh, opportunity. She's, she's made it extravagant. She's used it as worship. She's poured out everything she has, this huge amount of money that potentially was all she had. And she's placed everything at the feet of Jesus in service. And he says, you know what? I see it and I honor it. And for all time, she's going to be honored because of it. You know that so often we can see our offerings and and our service to God as being stuff that no one sees, no one honors, no one notices. But I want to tell you today, God sees. He sees it. He knows it. He honors it. This is remembered by him, and it'll be remembered even by the children who you've got in your care for many years to come, whether you see the results of that or not. She took a servant's role and ramped it up to the most extravagant service she could think of. You know, when I think of the possibilities for us, when we look at things that way, you know, what is it that I'm doing today and how can I make that so extravagant that it ends up being worship to God? It ends up being my offering to him, even though it's really (laughs) the lowliest of tasks. How can I do it in such a way that I'm honoring God and I'm worshiping him in the midst of this daily grind that I'm doing? Often I know as carers, it can be lonely and it can be lowly, the service that we do. Jesus sees it. He honors it. And what he can actually do is he can increase our influence and our impact because we choose to step into that place. The other thing that's really fascinating to me about Mary of Bethany is that she seeks out the presence of Jesus and it becomes something that actually defines her. We only hear about Mary of Bethany three times in scripture, but in all three times, she's in exactly the same place. She's at the feet of Jesus. She just loves being in his presence. Luke chapter 10 is the first time that we hear about her. And we're going to look at that in depth in just a moment. But before we do, I would love for you to hear a little bit about ARC. Each month or so, ARC hosts an online, no-obligation information session that allows people who want to know more about stepping into foster care to have their questions answered. If you have friends or family who are watching your journey and have considered perhaps dipping their toes in the water of foster care too, this is the place for them to find out how, without having to commit straight away. To register for the next info session, go to arcaustralia.org. Welcome back. Let's continue our short study of Mary of Bethany. In Luke chapter 10, she was uh, at home (laughs) with Martha, with Lazarus. Jesus was visiting. And Martha was preparing a meal. You might know the story where Martha is saying to Jesus, why don't you send Mary out here to help me? Send my sister to help me. I'm doing all of the work and she's just sitting there at your feet and she's not doing anything at all. And Martha's kind of calling her out for being lazy at at this point. 
But Jesus responds to Martha and he says, no, I'm not going to send her to help you. (laughs) She's chosen the better thing and it will not be taken away from her. She places herself at his feet. She wants to hear what he has to say. She wants to know his heart. She wants to know what makes him tick. She's intrigued by his character. She wants to be near him. She wants to be transformed by him. She wants to learn everything that he has to say. And her favorite place to be is right there in his presence, at his feet, listening. There is no task that is more important to her that would take her away from knowing him. Now, I know from experience (laughs) that when we live lives of service and especially practical service like foster care, like caring for kids who we didn't conceive, that sometimes it's really hard for us to carve out time where we can be in the presence of Jesus. Well, we're just listening to him and we want to know about his character. But I want to tell you that that time, those moments, even as small as they could possibly be, Those are the moments that define who we are. Those are the moments that lead us to a place where we actually want to worship with our service. Because it's when we understand his character, when he starts to breathe into us, when we start to learn what it is to be intimate with him and to engage with him in affection and and knowing what makes him tick and who he is, just placing our ears against his chest to hear his heartbeat. It's in those moments that he defines who we are, that we learn our identity from him. And it means that when it comes to the times of service, times like that one where she was pouring ointment, pouring perfume over his feet, it means that when other people come and criticize us for that, When other people look at our lives and they mock us for that and they go, why are you doing this? Why are you spending your life in service of Jesus? Why are you doing these hard tasks or these lowly tasks? Why are you putting up with the stuff that you're putting up with? And people look at us and they criticize us and they mock us. The reason that being at Jesus' feet and understanding his character matters is because when we get to those moments, we do it unashamed. We know who we are. We know that we're a servant of Jesus. And so it's okay for us to boldly proclaim that. Mary at Jesus' feet was pouring that perfume out. She was wiping his feet with her hair and she was doing it in public and she did not care what anyone thought. This was her service. This was her worship. And she was so strong in her identity that she didn't care what anyone thought. And that doesn't just happen. In that one moment, that happens over time as we learn what it is to be in his presence, as we desire being in his presence, as we seek out his presence, as we choose to be at his feet, learning his character and learning who he is. That's what forms us into who we are. That's what convinces us of our character, our own character and our own identity and brings us to a place where we can confidently and strongly reply to someone who might mock us in our time of service and say, I don't care what you think. I'm not here to impress you. I am here to worship Jesus. I am here to serve him. I am a servant of the Lord. And so it's those times where she was at his feet, listening to him and being in his presence, seeking out his presence. Those those times made all the difference. 
And that's how she could find herself in a place where she could serve and worship him so boldly like she was in John chapter nine, uh, John chapter 12, I believe. The other fascinating uh, time for Mary that we see her, in fact, the second time that we see her, she's also at Jesus' feet. But this was a time of grief and of pain and of mourning for her. It was actually four days after her brother Lazarus had died. And Jesus is there too late. (laughs) And Jesus calls for her. He's had a conversation with Martha that was a very sort of theologically driven conversation where Martha was trying to understand and grieve out loud and process things with him. But then Jesus asks for Mary and Mary comes out to him and she falls down at his feet at the place that she knows. She cries out to him and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's weeping. And Jesus is so overcome with compassion for her that he begins to weep as well. Because he's so affected by her grief. Jesus isn't weeping because Lazarus is dead. He knows he's about to raise him to life. He's weeping because of what's happening in Mary's heart. There is a connection there. He knows her. He understands her and she is being so vulnerable and so open with him in that moment. And she takes that stance, that posture once again at his feet, where she is choosing to learn from him, where she chooses to even honor him and revere him, even in the midst of her grief and her confusion. And Jesus loves it. He responds with affection to her. There's something quite powerful about us seeking out the presence of God, seeking out the presence of Jesus and choosing to be in that place and to learn from him in every situation in life, the good times and also the really dark, tough times, because he sees us, he knows us, he grieves with us, he emotes with us and just simply being with him forms our identity. It's those two situations, one sitting at his feet at a meal, before a meal, and one after her brother had died, that actually form her into the person who can be unashamed in her service and her worship and her devotion to him as she anoints his feet with perfume. She focused on being closer to him And what essentially happened is because she was able to be closer to him, her influence and her her identity started to be formed and actually strengthened and made confident in who she was because she was being informed by him. There's this other really fascinating thing that happens in the John 12 passage. Jesus says, uh, when when Judas comes to him and he says, oh, hang on a second, she should be giving this money to the poor. Jesus says, no, she's actually preparing me for my burial. And I love this because we seem to get this indication that Mary knows what's coming. The other disciples, when Jesus speaks to them about dying and about his death being imminent, they either don't understand or they rebuke him for it. They tell him, no, that can't happen to you. That won't happen to you. We won't let it happen to you. And on it goes. But Mary, she seems to have some understanding simply because of her closeness to Jesus, maybe, of what's about to happen. And the fascinating thing about it is that she doesn't try and stop him. She doesn't try and stop it from happening, but rather she prepares him 
for what's about to happen. She sees that there's a plan in motion. She understands who she is. As compared to who he is, he is God. She is not. (laughs) He is in control. She is not. He is the master. She is the servant. And so she anoints him. She uses the opportunity to prepare him for the plan that is unfolding before her. She doesn't complain about it. She just gets on with it. And I love this because there must be something in her soul that's going, no, don't let this be, you know, I I want you to be here forever. And yet she gives herself to his plans, not her own. And this also reminds me of us, those who are involved in care of vulnerable kids and pursuing justice and a hope and a future for vulnerable kids. Because there are so many times that things happen on this journey that we can see coming and everything within us wants to scream out, no, (laughs) don't let that happen. Don't let that be. It can't be right. It can't be good. And we want to grab it with both hands and say, no, 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 no. And yet we have no control over what is to come. And it's in those moments that God is calling us, that Jesus is calling us to simply prepare. Simply prepare for the future. Simply engage in what he can control, what he is over, what he sees, what he understands, the perspective that he has that we don't, and to give ourselves to that and say, okay, we're just going to prepare probably this child usually, but also our family, ourselves, our souls in such a way that the plan that is unfolding before us that we have no control over is is best prepared to outwork. Essentially what that means is that we're giving over the control to God. We're praying into it. We're going, Lord, (laughs) we just want you to take this and do with it what you can do and we can't. We can't see the end from the beginning. We don't know what is to come. But we do know that you are in control. We do know that you are powerful. And we do know that you can do what you need to do in this situation. So we're releasing it to your control. And this trust is required for that. It requires us to lean into him. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve, that we don't emote, that we don't cry, that we don't call out to him and ask for things to be different. But it does mean that there will be a point when we need to let go. And that doesn't mean that God is not there. It just means that there is a plan and there is something outside our control that we cannot see. And he's wanting to engage with us in this way. And what we need to understand, I believe, through the life of Mary of Bethany and these three episodes that we see her in, where she's at his feet, first of all, just listening to him, at his feet, grieving because of the loss of her brother, and then once again at his feet, anointing him with expensive perfume and worshipping him in this attitude of service, is that Jesus always calls us to a place where we are closer to him. It's the priority. He says again and again things like, abide in me. He calls people close to himself. He calls children close to himself. He calls his disciples close to himself. And he is always in pursuit 
of intimacy with us. And it's out of that place of intimacy that fruit comes. It's out of that place of intimacy that influence comes and that change happens and that things happen in this earth. But if we do it and we try and do it without him, or if we try and do it apart from him or away from him, or somehow without connecting with him, then we're going to find that we're missing out on the very power that he wants to give us in this life to be able to serve well, to be able to connect with him and see what it is that he's doing, to understand his character in the midst of what he's called us to in our service of him. And also we're going to miss out on what he's trying to show us about our own identity and how we can do this service for him from a place where we know who we are and we're confident in what he's called us to do. I know that the journey of foster care can be one where it feels like waves of the sea just going up and down and you've got to deal with all of the emotions and the various things that happen, but gosh, it's so much more fulfilling when we know who we are and we're confident in that, when we've found our identity in God and we know why we're doing this. Because it's it's that assurance when we're gaining our lifeblood and our strength from him when we're drinking of him and we know him and we're intimate with him, it's that that calls us on to big and glorious things. Things that can't necessarily be seen by a whole heap of other people and things that might not necessarily be seen by the world, but things that will change the life of a young child and things that are seen by God as being great sacrifices that we've made in order to change the world for one or change the world for a few. Mary of Bethany inspires me to want to spend more time at Jesus' feet and not just serve him because it's the right thing to do, but serve him because I know him more and I want to be like him and I want to hear what he has to say and I want to live a life that represents his character. So I guess as we finish today, I just want to say to you, good on you. for your service, for being a servant, for serving the master. And in those times where it's lonely or it's lowly, in those times where you feel like no one notices, I just want to remind you, he notices and he wants you close. And maybe today there's a a possibility, even just five minutes that you could carve out just to calm your soul, to spend a few moments with him, to be at his feet to hear what he has to say, and to remember why you're doing this in the first place. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. It's been an awesome privilege to be with you. We'll be back with Faith in Fostering next week. And in the meantime, remember, every child deserves a family.